0: Just like tumbleweeds, crickets, nothing. <laughs> so Christy and I were sitting on the couch at home, and I turned to her and I said, I have no clue. No clue. Okay, you guys, am I better? Am I still on? Okay. I have no clue what I'm going to talk about. And she looked at me and she said, Talk about the hallway. The hallway. Okay, Christy and I have this like language thing where we really don't have to say a whole lot, but we know what each other's talking about. It's kind of cool and sometimes creepy, and a lot of times it scares me because I've got this idea that she knows what I'm thinking and I never have a clue what she's thinking. Um, so, the hallway. Um, have you ever heard the saying, when God closes a door, he opens a window? Have you ever been in that place where you feel like God's closed a door and you're waiting for the window to open? You're waiting for that next door to to kind of swing open and show you what your next step is? That's what what we call the hallway. Some people call it the desert. Some people call it the valley. It's those places kind of in between. It's, um, okay, well, you know, we had this... uh, We had this plan, we had this path moving forward, and now what we thought was going to happen didn't happen. So now what? Now what do we do? Um, And and that's kind of that place. It's that, uh, okay, I can't, I don't want to go back. I want to go forward, but I don't see a clear direction yet. So that's kind of the hallway. Um, It may be relationships, it may be um, career. It may be uh, health issues. It may be relocation, education, something like that. Something where there was there was a clear direction at one point. There was a vision. Um, there was a, a desire birthed in your heart. There was something that you knew you were headed towards and you were on a path. And then all of a sudden that path just kind of went away, vanished. You don't know what it was. It was clear that something needed to change, but you still don't know what's changing. That's the hallway. That's the in-between time. And since I am one-handed, I'm going to... uh, That's going to sound weird on the audio, huh? When people listen to the podcast. Since he's one-handed. So when she said, talk about the hallway, I knew what she was talking about because, you know, we all have our hallways. We all have our... Um, what's next God questions. And Christy and I have the same, we've been, you know, talking and praying about stuff and there, you know, there are things that, that we see coming, but we're not really sure how to get there. Um, so when she said hallway, I knew exactly what she was talking about. And when she said, talk about the hallway, I knew exactly who I was going to talk about because there's a dude in the Bible. It's one of my very favorite parts of the Bible, Because the record of this guy's life, uh, Hollywood couldn't make up. It's, uh, It's pretty interesting. It happens in Genesis starting at about chapter 37. And we're going to go from chapter 37 to about 46. I'm not saying that because I'm going to stand up here and read it. I'm saying that so that if you want to go back over it later, you know where to look. I'm not going to read nine chapters of Genesis. Um, This guy spent a lot of time in that in-between place in that hallway. Um, His name is Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jacob and Jacob at one time had his name changed by God to Israel. Israel was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. So, Joseph was one of his sons and and he wasn't just one of his sons. He was a favored son. He was born to him in a a later age, um, son of Rachel and Jacob just adored Rachel. So Joseph was a favorite and Jacob was not shy about showing that. Now, Joseph had 11 brothers. Think about that for a minute. You have eleven brothers, and you're the favorite. How do you think that's going to go over? Jacob gave Joseph a coat, and everyone's heard the story coat of many, many colors, uh, Technicolor dream coat. You know that that's this is the Joseph we're talking about. Now he was the favorite, but Joseph was kind of a brat. Um, part of what's recorded says that Joseph gave a bad report to Jacob about his brothers. So Joseph, he was a tattletale. The brothers are probably slacking off somewhere, letting the sheep be sheep, not really paying attention, not really sure what it was. But Joseph, you know, he told dad. So not only is he favored, not only are his brothers already jealous because he's favored, but he's also a little brat not a good place to be, especially when you have 11 other brothers, 10 of which are older. So Joseph was a brat. He was a tattletale and Joseph had dreams. Joseph had two specific dreams that he was more than happy to share with the rest of the family. In one of these dreams, He and his brothers were out in the field, and they were harvesting. And back then, before the the combine and all that good stuff, um, they would cut the stalks of grain off at the bottom. They would tie them up and stand them up in a field. And Joseph's dream, all of his brother's bundles of grain bowed down to his. He had another dream where the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed down to him. So, okay, here's Joseph. He's like, cool. This is the dream that I had. He tells his brothers, he tells his dad, and they're like, what do you think you're going to rule over us or something? What is, and, and of course, Joseph, you know, he's a brat. He's like, oh, these are the dreams I had. So one day his brothers are out doing what shepherds do and they're far from home and Jacob says hey go check on them because obviously he gets reports back from Joseph so let's send Joseph again go check on them go see what they're doing he goes one place he can't find him he finds some guy there and he says oh I heard him say they're moving on to this other place so he heads out over there and Joseph's brothers see him coming from a distance and Joseph's brothers say hey let's kill him Sounds a little harsh, right? You notice there's stuff in the Bible. It's a little harsh. So they said, let's kill him. Then let's see what comes of his dreams. So these guys are jealous to the point of, okay, this dude is really, really on my nerves. Let's just get rid of him. And one of the brothers, Reuben, he says, okay, hold on. Let's don't do it with our own hands. There's a cistern over here. There's this big dry pit. Let's throw him in there and the brothers are like, sweet. That's good. Okay. He is our brother. Let's just throw him in there. See what happens. So Joseph shows up, they pull the coat of many colors off of him and they throw him in this pit. So here's Joseph who has been given these dreams by God about ruling over his family. And now he finds himself in a pit. This is where Joseph enters the hallway. He had visions. He had dreams. He probably had some idea of how those things were going to come about. Now he's in a pit. I'm pretty sure he didn't think about that happening. So Joseph's in the pit. His brothers are taking his coat and dipping it in lamb's blood so that they can take it back to Jacob and say, Sorry, Dad, a wild animal killed Joseph. Here's the coat. Here's the blood all over it. So now Joseph's in the pit. His dad's going to think that he's dead. And if it's not bad enough, as the brothers are sitting up, I'm assuming someplace close to the pit, up above, above ground, eating their lunch, here comes a caravan heading to Egypt. So the brothers get the bright idea. Hey, let's pull him out of there and sell him to these guys. So now Joseph... Big dreams, had a plan, thrown in a pit, now sold into slavery. I think the hallway is getting bigger. The uh, doors are sealed. No windows open. Joseph's got it kind of bad right now. Goes from pit to slave. The caravan gets to Egypt. And they sell him to a man named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was was one of the leaders in Pharaoh's government. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. Potiphar was one of the, you know, higher up dudes. And Joseph was now his slave. Now, Joseph worked. Whatever he was given, he did. And he did it so well, and God blessed everything he did to the point where Potiphar noticed, and he was like, dude, We're going to take this guy and we're going to put him in charge of everything because everything he seems to do just works. So now Joseph is in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, all of Potiphar's servants, all of Potiphar's lands, all of Potiphar's accounts. The only thing Potiphar had to worry about was what he wanted to eat for lunch. I mean, the dude did nothing now because Joseph was so good at what he was doing. Potiphar had one big problem. And that big problem was in the form of Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife was not what you would call a faithful woman. And Joseph was a pretty good looking dude. He was young. He was strong. He had worked outside all of his life, so he was fit. And Potiphar's wife kept trying to get Joseph to sleep with her. And Joseph said, why? Oh, why would I do that? I can't sin against God. I'm not going to sin against God. And my master, your husband has entrusted me with everything he has. So why would I betray him and kept turning her down? So one day she traps him, gets him in in a room and basically throws herself at him. And he's, Wrangling to get away from her and she grabs his cloak that he's wearing and pulls it off of him And he runs out So here she is humiliated because she's been rejected More than likely you know someone was around so they probably saw him run out of the room So what does she do? She screams rape So now Her husband comes home she's got his cloak And says This slave that you put in charge of everything tried to take advantage of me. Potiphar, obviously angry, upset, has Joseph thrown in prison. So now we've gone from visions and dreams to pit, to slave, to prison. Things are not looking very good for Joseph. We're not really sure how Joseph, how all these dreams are going to fit in here. Now, Joseph's in prison. These prisons are a little bit different than what we consider prisons today. Um, In these prisons, you had to work. There were things you did. Um, And the prisoners were kind of put in charge of each other. And again, everything Joseph did just worked. God blessed everything he did in prison and the warden saw it. And the warden put him in charge of all the prisoners. So here he is in prison. Again, hopes, dreams, visions have no clue, but he's in prison. He's in charge of people. Pharaoh gets angry with a couple of his servants cupbearer who brings him his wine and the baker and he throws him in prison in the same prison with joseph so now you have the cupbearer and the baker and one day the cupbearer and baker they have this they have dreams on the same night and the next morning they're sitting there together and they're kind of got this worried look they're kind of dejected and sad and and Joseph, being the, you know, the conscientious person who's over all the prisoners, he says, "Why so sad? What's going on? What? Um, you know?" And they both tell him, he said, "We had dreams, and no one can interpret them. We can't find anybody here who can tell us what they mean." Joseph says, "Well, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams." So the cupbearer starts, and the cupbearer says. In my dream, I saw three branches with grapes on them. I grabbed the grapes, I squeezed them into a cup, and I handed the cup to Pharaoh. Joseph said, hey, what that means is these branches represent three days. In three days, Pharaoh is going to take you out of this prison. And he's going to put you back into the position you were in. You will be his cupbearer once again. Cupbearer is happy. Joseph says now when this happens Mention me to Pharaoh because I was taken From my homeland I was Wrongly accused of something and I've been thrown in prison for no reason So remember when you Are put back into your station Remember me mention me to Pharaoh Cupbearer's like cool Now the baker's sitting here and the baker's just really Excited because the cupbearer had A really good interpretation of his dream So the baker he goes up to Joseph. And he says, Hey, I had a dream. I had three baskets on my head. They had bread and pastries and all that good stuff in them. And in the very top basket, there were birds that were eating what was in the basket. So Joseph says, Oh, okay. Well, the three baskets also represent three days. And in three days, Pharaoh is going to take off your head and impale you on a pole. I don't think he asked the baker to mention him to Pharaoh. Probably wasn't going to have that opportunity. Now, three days later, guess what happens? The cupbearer is the cupbearer again. The baker has no head and is impaled on a pole. So, what Joseph said was going to happen, happened. Light at the end of the tunnel, right? Cupbearer's out, he's in front of Pharaoh, forgets about Joseph not only forgets about joseph forgets about joseph for 2 years so joseph is imprisoned for 2 more years and then one night pharaoh has a couple of dreams pharaoh is really disturbed by these dreams and when i tell you what they were you'll understand why he was disturbed by these dreams He calls all of his sorcerers and magicians and wise men in the the country of Egypt, and he says, I need you to interpret these, and nobody can. He's frustrated. He's scared. He doesn't know what to make of these. And then the light goes on over the cupbearer's head, and he says, okay, I forgot about this dude, but when I was in prison, where you put me, by the way, thank you, I had a dream and this man interpreted it and it came out just the way he said. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph and Joseph shows up and Pharaoh says, I have called all of my magicians, all of my wise men, everyone I can think of and no one can interpret this dream. So Joseph said, I can't interpret it, but God can tell me your dream. Here's Pharaoh's dream. There were seven fat cows. They were healthy. They were fat. They were grazing. Everything was good. Then these seven scrawny, skinny, sickly looking cows come up from the bank of the Nile and the seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows. Can you see why the Pharaoh might have been a little bit disturbed with this dream? Not only did they eat the fat cows, but after they ate them, the skinny cows didn't look any different. They were still fat, I mean skinny. They were still sickly looking. (coughs) The next dream, there was a stalk of grain and in the head, there were seven uh, plump, healthy looking kernels of wheat. And then out of that same head popped seven withered, scorched-looking kernels of wheat. And the seven withered ones ate the seven good ones. So after he told him this, Joseph says, God has shown you the same thing twice. These two dreams mean the same thing. He showed them to you twice because he has made up his mind. He has confirmed to you that this is going to happen. He says the seven fat cows and the seven good kernels of grain means seven years of abundance. You are going to have more than enough. The whole country of Egypt is going to be flush. It's going to be good. But after the seven years is going to come seven years of famine starvation, no food, and it's going to be so bad that no one's going to remember the seven good years. So Joseph went on to say, so what you need to do is put someone in charge of all of Egypt, all the grain that you're going to bring in, and every year you need to take a fifth of that and you need to store it. So that when the seven years of famine happen, you're going to have plenty of food to eat. Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, who in all of Egypt is as wise as this man? And puts Joseph in charge of everything in Egypt. He's second only to Pharaoh now. So he's gone from having these visions and dreams to being in a pit, to being a slave to being a prisoner, now he's in charge of everything in Egypt. Well, they have the seven good years. They store up all this grain. (coughs) Excuse me. And they, they have the seven years of famine that come. So when the seven years of famine come, they start taking the food out of the storehouse. Excuse me. So they take the food out of the storehouse, and as people need food, they come and they buy the the food. And they not only buy food with money. Oh, that's better. They not only buy food with money, but they exchange land, possessions. As they're coming in to get this food, Pharaoh is getting richer and richer. And eventually, they just start trading themselves for food. So, everything that Joseph said would happen, happened. Now, the land of Canaan is where Joseph's brother and father was. So, when the famine got so bad it even reached them, Jacob looked at his sons and he said, Go to Egypt. I've heard they have food. Bring some back. The brothers go to Egypt. Who's in charge? Joseph's in charge. Now, Joseph has been living basically like an Egyptian for a while, so his brothers don't recognize him at all, but he recognizes them. The brothers have to go through Joseph to get the grain. They don't recognize who he is, so when they're called in front of him and he confronts them, still doesn't tell them who he is, they bow down to him. Now, there's a little more to the story because he really gives them a hard time. He, he sends them back and puts money back in their sacks like they've never paid him. So they're all scared that the people are going to think that they stole it. And eventually he says, I don't want to see you again until you bring your baby brother. And Jacob is like, I'm not sending him. I'm not sending him. So he does all these things to his brother. And, I, you know, maybe, maybe he's getting back at him a little bit. But eventually, the brothers go back, they get their father, and they bring the whole family to Egypt. Joseph tells the brothers who he is. And not only that, Joseph tells them, don't worry. Everything that happened, including what you did to me, that was all God's plan to save you guys from starvation. All of this was God's plan. So, like I said, one of my favorite stories, um, the reason it is one of my favorite stories is because it reminds me, in, uh, in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, um, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Have you ever gone through a time where it was a struggle? It was hard to get through. It was something that, that was just... It was difficult. You couldn't see beyond the end of your nose. It was just trouble, 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 trouble all the time. But you get past it, you get through it and you look back and you see where God has orchestrated things to get you where you are. That's Joseph. That's what I love about that story. So we take what Joseph went through. And we figure out how it is that we're supposed to act when we are going through the hallway, when we're stuck, when we're in that in-between place between I know what God birthed in my heart, I know the dream I have, the vision he gave me, but I can't see the next step. If we look at what Joseph did, the first thing he did He was faithful. When we are in that place as human beings, we have this tendency to throw pity parties. We have this tendency when things are hard or we're confronted with something to just stop. We tend to wait until whatever it is we want to happen happens. And in the meantime, we're just. We're nothing. We don't do anything. We just kind of. Oh, poor, poor, pitiful me. I'm waiting for someone to come by and fix this. Joseph didn't do that. Joseph was faithful. Joseph did not sin against God during this time. He refused to sin against God. Not only that, he refused to sin against the masters under whom he was unjustly placed. This man was not a slave. He was one of the sons of Israel. But when he was made into a slave, he worked. He did what he was supposed to do. When they gave him a task, he did it. And not only that, he did it so well that they noticed. When we're in that place, when we're in that in-between time, let's remember that we still have things to do. We still have jobs. We still have families. We still have friends. We still have church. We still have ministry. We have brothers and sisters in Christ We still have things to do The next one is He stayed engaged And by engaged I mean he stayed In touch with people around him The other thing that we tend to do When we get into a tough spot Is we tend to retreat We tend to Kind of Stick to our own Because we don't want People to know that we're In a tough situation We don't want to We don't want to ask for help a lot of times. Um, And what we do is we separate ourselves from the people around us. Joseph didn't do that. You can see with the cupbearer and the baker, all he did was notice that they were having a hard time. He went up and talked to them. And not only that, he shared what God gave him with these guys. That's where we need to be. When we're in this situation where we're praying for that next step and we don't know when it's coming, Even if it's a difficult time, even if the door that's been closed is one that you wanted to stay open. Even if that next step is not clear and you don't know where you're going, stay engaged because there are still people around you who need you. There are people around you who need the gifts and talents that God has given you. Don't get bogged down in the waiting. I know a lot of times waiting is tough. Waiting is difficult. We're very impatient people. And when we can't control a situation, we just get so bogged down in the fact that we're stuck that we don't look next to us to see if there's something that we can be doing. The other thing that Joseph did, he gave glory to God. Joseph was mistreated by his brothers. He was almost killed by them. He was made to be a slave. He was thrown in prison, unjustly thrown in prison. And then he was forgotten about while he was in prison. But every time he had an opportunity to interpret a dream, or when he gave Pharaoh advice, he gave the glory to God. When Pharaoh asked for an interpretation, he said, God interprets. When the cupbearer and the baker asked for interpretation, he said, interpretations belong to God. When we get past that next door, when it opens up and we see that next step. What happened in the hallway. Is what prepares us to take it. The hallway is not a standing still place. It's not a place to languish. It's not a place to let go. It's not a place that we just sit there and wait. The hallway is what prepares us for the next open door. Now, think about when Joseph went into the pit, the very first bad thing we see happening to Joseph. When Joseph went into the pit, he was a brat, a braggart, and a tattletale. He was immature, and he was not a very cool guy when he went into the pit. But everything that happened to him from the pit to Pharaoh's palace prepared him for what was next. If Joseph would have been taken by his brothers and immediately placed in front of Pharaoh and Pharaoh would have said, here are my dreams. Joseph wouldn't have known step one of what to even say because he hadn't been prepared. If you're in a place right now where you feel like you're in that in the middle, you're in that. I don't know what the next step is that God, why aren't you giving me anything? If you're in that place Remember, this is preparation time. Because God is going to open a door and we need to be ready for it. But if we don't take advantage of the in-between times, those times that God is growing and maturing us, we won't be ready for that next step. God is not sitting there wondering what he's going to have you do. He's not confused about your situation. He's not at all concerned about about whether or not he's going to be able to deliver you from whatever it is. We may not see the next step. He sees it clearly all the way to the end. Um, We're going to do communion today. But before we do, I wanted to give an opportunity... Um, maybe, maybe you're in a place right now where you don't hear clearly from God or you don't hear from him at all because you've never accepted Jesus as your savior. Maybe that's the first step on your path. Maybe that's the door that needs to swing open wide for you. Well, it's already open. All you have to do is step through. And I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray with you in just a minute. Um, Or maybe you are in that in-between place. You're in that hallway right now. You're waiting to see which one of these doors opens up and what my next step is. I'd like to pray for you, too. Um, If you're not there right now, you will be. And if you're there right now, let's ask God. God. What that next step is. So the first people I want to pray for, if you've never accepted Christ. Or if you need to say you accepted Christ a long time ago and you just haven't been following him and you need an opportunity to get reconnected, to recommit yourself, to rededicate yourself to him. I'd like everybody to repeat after me. Follow me in this prayer. And if this is the first time that you're praying this or if it's a recommitment, please mark that on your connect card because we'd really like to get in touch with you and walk through these things with you. So repeat after me, Lord Lord Jesus. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died for my sins And I believe that you rose again to give me eternal life. I ask that you would cleanse me of my sins. And help me to live a life dedicated to you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I'd also like to ask your blessing on those today who are in that hallway, that desert, that, that valley. And there's a vision, there's a dream, there's something that you've put in their hearts, but they don't know the next step. I just ask, Lord, that you would open up hearts and minds, <clears throat> mine included, and remind us that this place we're in right now, It's not because you've abandoned us. It's not because there's nothing for us to do. It's not because you don't have a plan. It's because there's some preparation that needs to be done. There's some healing that needs to be done. There's some strengthening that needs to be done. There's some growing that needs to be done so that when that door opens, we'll be ready to take that next step. I pray, Father, that we would be able to seek you, to trust you, to look to you. And I ask that you would help us to dive into your word for the encouragement and the wisdom that we need for this next step in the journey you have for us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and start passing out the communion elements. While they're passing those out, we usually um, have some next steps. Um, so we give you some stuff to, to think about, to do um, week after week. But this week, um, I don't really have next steps as much as I have encouragement. Um, if you're taking notes, there are just three scriptures that I jotted down here. The first one is Jeremiah 29, 11. And the scripture is, I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans for a hope and a future. That's God. Those are the plans he has for us. The next one is Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God works all things to our good. All things. Now, if you remember when you were a kid and you got in trouble, Sometimes those things that God uses to work out, they may not be all that pleasant. I know that when I was a kid and I was getting a crack across my rear end, it was not pleasant. But it was preparation. It was correction. It was growth. It was maturing. And sometimes God does that. The Bible talks about how God treats us as a silversmith purifying silver. It's heated to the point where impurities bubble up to the surface and then are removed. Sometimes that heat doesn't feel good, but it's for our good. And the last one that I'll mention is Matthew 633. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. That's where we start When it says seek first It means seek first Look to God first Don't look to other things Or other ways Or distractions Or anything like that Seek God first